Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi there, and welcome to the Press Gallery, Edmonton Journal's politics podcast, the Prescription for Deja Vu edition. My name is Sarah O'Donnell. I'm the Journal's assignment editor, and I'm here in the newsroom studio on Friday, March 20th, with three of the smartest people I know, city columnist Paula Simons. Oh, I go, glad I get to go first in that list. <laughs> Health reporter Keith Durine. Hi, Sarah. And provincial affairs reporter Miriam Ibrahim. Hello. This week, we are going to talk about health care and the provincial government's latest plan to improve health care in rural Alberta. We're going to delve into why canceled surgeries in Edmonton are getting more attention than normal, and we want to gauge the temperature of the government's relationship with its public sector workers. And if we manage to watch our time, we will do a round of good stuff from the gallery suggestions. We'll start with rural health care because I happen to know that, Keith, you had been waiting for an announcement on this topic for some time. Can you remind us why rural health care was on your watch list? Right. So this actually started back in the fall and Premier Jim Prentice, uh, shortly after he became Premier, one of the first things that he did is he ordered a review of rural health care. And he claimed that this was necessary because as he was doing his own tour around Alberta for his leadership campaign, he heard a lot of frustrations from rural Albertans about uh, how they kind of felt cut off from the, the big centralized Alberta health services system that they felt like they didn't have a lot of input in their decisions. Um, and there were, they certainly had concerns about the services they were being offered. So he appointed a panel who was supposed to go around Alberta, uh, talk to a lot of different communities, and then come up with some recommendations. So those recommendations were released uh, this week. So that that's one thing. The other thing, of course, is that we uh, here at the Journal produced a series uh, back in December looking into the province's hospitals. And what we found, among other things, is that there's a lot of hospitals that are uh, not in great shape in rural Alberta, and there's a lot of hospitals that are not being particularly well used. And there's also a lot of them, right? There's and there's, a an, lot of there, there's, about a, there's about 82 of them. So I was certainly interested to see what this review panel was going to find on some of those issues. So we were expecting this review to provide a prescription to improve rural health care, from what it sounds like you're saying. Right. And what we got to me, in fact, felt like a prescription for deja vu, if I can just reference our, our title. <laughs> I, I mean, and, and you can maybe explain a little bit more about why I might have felt that way. I can explain it too. But so can you explain the details of the announcement from the health minister? and uh, MLA Richard Starkey. Right. So the panel actually came up with 56 recommendations, which was which was quite a large number. The government has said most of those recommendations, they're not ready to move on. Uh, they need more study. I think it's mostly because some of them are going to cost a lot of money, and the government right now, of course, is in a mood to, uh, to cut rather than spend. But they are going to move on two things. And one of them is uh, some some movement to try and get ambulances kind of free, more free up in, in rural areas right now because they're kind of getting stuck at hospitals and, and there's some concerns. They're also getting diverted away from their home communities too often and leaving those communities without ambulance, uh, ambulance care. So they're going to work on that. But the bigger one is this bureaucratic change, right? And so anyone who 
has been in Alberta for any length of time knows that only a few years can go by before the government decides to mess around with its health system again and restructure it. So the big one of those, of course, a little history lesson, is the creation of Alberta Health Services. And that took nine regional independent health authorities and, and three agencies and combined it into one big centralized super board, Alberta Health Services, right? So the government credits that for reducing duplication of services, for cutting administrative costs, for reducing some competition for funding. The problem is, as, as Prentice referenced, there has been this feeling in rural Alberta that uh, it's too centralized, that it, it ignores the voices of local communities. So Mandel, this week, his change to kind of rectify this is to kind of go back to a more decentralized model. Alberta Health Services will still exist, but it's going to have eight to ten operational districts within it. And I think that language is very carefully chosen because otherwise it sounds very much, as you li like to say, like those old nine regional health authorities that we had just seven years ago. Yeah, it was a total blast from the past. And Paula, I do want to hear your reaction on all of this. <laughs> But first, Miriam, can you tell us how other politicians reacted to this proposed rural health care fix? They were probably, as you won't be surprised to hear, skeptical. Um, you know, the opposition loves to talk about the fact um, that the government does like to do this with the health system. It's gone back and forth. Prentice said that this was a, a pendulum swing, swinging back into balance. But uh, like I said, people are pretty skeptical because it does sound a lot like the old regional boards. Um, so there was there was a lot of uh, skepticism that, that I was hearing. And it was also the latest in a sort of good news announcement, a series of good news announcements. And the opposition have been really pointing to the fact that the government seems to have no shortage of good things it can present to Albertans and pat itself on the back for, like this uh, rural health review, which was launched, I guess, last fall, soon after Pre um, Prentice became premier. Uh, so a lot of people are, are talking about the fact that this uh, all seems curiously timed. Paula, is this giving us the best of both worlds, the benefits of a super board with a community voice? or No, this has nothing to do with health administration. This has all to do with politics. The reason that Ed Stelmack and Ron Leifert blew up the regional health authorities in the first place is that they had become very powerful fiefdoms and they'd become uh, a, an opposition within the Tory tent. Uh, each of those health authorities had a very powerful board uh, with a very powerful charismatic leader in many cases and they were providing real dissent and you know creating real waves within Torydom. And so when Stelmack blew them up, it was as much as anything to protect his power base. Now, Prentice has the opposite problem. He needs those rural votes back, the ones that went over to the Wild Rose. So this is about a sop to the rural base to try to rebuild the rural base. Will it make any difference for regular folks and the kind of health care they receive? I remain skeptical. But, you know, one of the problems that Keith highlighted in his uh, investigative series into uh, the state of Alberta's hospitals is that we have a lot of duplication of services in rural Alberta. We have a lot of, uh, I don't want to say feather bedding, but we have a lot of hospitals sitting vacant. We have buildings that, that need repair that we can't afford to repair. Uh, what Keith's series demonstrated is that rural uh, communities are very loath to close their own hospitals, even if that makes sense. So decentralizing power and giving decision-making back 
to rural communities is not necessarily a recipe for better health care or a better health care system. They were built for a different time, weren't they? I mean, when a lot of those were built, the population was distributed differently in Alberta. The population was distributed differently. We didn't have services like STARS Air Ambulance. We didn't have uh, the kind of consolidation of really high-tech services. I mean, if you need a hip replacement, if you need a pacemaker, you want to be in Edmonton or Calgary or Red Deer or someplace where there's specialized surgeons who can do that work. And I think that we're a more mobile population than we used to be. I think it would make a lot of sense to turn some of those full-service hospitals into urgent care clinics where people could get emergency care, but you know that we wouldn't be maintaining a full-fledged hospital with surgical units because that just doesn't make sense. Will those decisions get made if we decentralize power again? I don't think so. You know, it just occurred to me, Keith, that I haven't heard a lot about the other recommendations that the government didn't act on. What, right. what were some of those? <laughs> well, there, there was quite a number on ambulances, uh, which they are probably going to move on some of those. There were things like um, expanding mental health services. There were things about changing the compensation system to attract more uh, nurse practitioners and more physician assistants and, and midwives. They that, that's a very good recommendation, by it the is, way. Right. They can't get physicians out there, so they recruit some of these other folks uh, who can maybe fill in some of those roles that, that the physicians normally would in rural Alberta. So it was things like that, using more telehealth, right, because that's an inexpensive way to, um, to get some care for people and, and not actually have to transfer them or or move a doctor to a rural area. So those all sound like some really good recommendations. So why would they be not acting on those ones immediately, but going to this another bureaucratic shakeup that sounds like it could create more executives, frankly, which is something that they've said they have too many of. Right. Well, that, that's a good question. I think some of those are going to have some costs. Um, and changing the compensation system, as, as we found out with the doctors, is a nearly um, impossible task to do in the short term. It's going to take years and a lot of discussion about how much you're going to have to pay a nurse practitioner, and there's few of them in the province to begin with, how much you'd have to pay them to go out and actually serve in a rural area. So that that's going to get expensive and it's going to be complicated. But it's interesting, you know, it almost takes, as you talk about deja vu, it almost takes you back to the model that we had of district public health nurses. I mean, in the olden days, um, you know, in the call the midwife days, we had um, highly trained nurses. We didn't call them nurse practitioners, but they were district health nurses who provided primary health care in rural Alberta. Uh, you know, a return to that model would actually make a heck of a lot of sense. But, you know, it doesn't make as many splashy headlines as revamping the executive structure of Alberta Health Services yet again. Did the minister's take many questions on this during question period in the like after they made this announcement or were the opposition focusing on other topics no I mean certainly there were there were um, questions about this but as I as I say lately well lately in QP it's not a lot of responses it's a lot of talking points and this was certainly one of them I mean Prentice started the day at the um, AMDNC convention and a good chunk of his speech was devoted to talking about the, the changes you know and that was happening as Mandel um, you know just an hour or so after Mandel had ha held his own news conference about and, it. And the AAMDNC, for people who don't know, is the Alberta Association of Municipal Districts and Counties. That's not necessarily Although an acronym. Although it always sounds to me knows. like the name for a rap band. <laughs> so the local, local politicians from rural, rural communities. Exactly. And so that was something that he was really hanging his hat on um, right off the bat that day. And yeah, there, there was definitely a lot of talk about decentralization. And like I said, uh, putting um, decision-making back into the hands of people in local communities, which, um, as Paula said, is something that uh, is 
a good message to send for the Tories right before an election. Um, and so there, but there was also a lot of the to- a lot of talk about the ambulances uh, because that has been an issue that has been sort of a thorn in the side of, of health for a while. It's not it's never good publicity when paramedics come out and talk about the fact that they are spending hours sitting in an emergency room or not able to get back to a community that needs um, an ambulance at its service. And so those are two things definitely that the Tories are going to be able to go out and say, you know, this is something that is going to to really uh, help. As Paula pointed out, though, previously these did turn into sort of fiefdoms and no one really had an answer for how they were going to prevent that from happening again. Um, you know, there was talk about vaguely about checks and balances and that sort of thing. But, you know, there, there I didn't really hear an answer. And I don't know, maybe Keith heard differently, but I didn't really hear an answer about how they were going to prevent that from happening again. It's a little complicated, but uh, the idea is that each of these operational districts will get a budget and it will be up to them how to spend it, essentially. They will get to decide which services are available in their district, which hospitals are going to be used for which purpose, and they will also get to decide uh, on the maintenance funding, right? We're going to do this repair in Hospital A, but not do this repair in Hospital B. And I think part of this is designed uh, so that if there are complaints about the services and are complaints about the repairs, the blame is going to go to the people running the operational district and not to the government, or at least that's what the government is hoping. The thing is, though, that the government is still going to control and AHS is still going to control how much money each of these operational districts get, and they're going to control who gets money for a new capital project, the big new hospitals and so on. So I'm not sure that um, the government's going to get deflect the blame as much and as they think. Will Vicki Kaminsky still have to sign off on all of these choices? I mean, if the health regional health board, I guess they're Dis- not health boards. Districts. What's the right word? Whatever this newly named thing that isn't a regional health board decides to spend their money this way. <laughs> right. If she doesn't agree with that, can she just have a veto stamp that says no? That's a really good question. Uh, Mandel's message at the press conference was no, these operational districts are going to be responsible for delivering health care. They are going to be responsible for how they spend their budget. However, I suspect, like all things under the government's control, if they really don't like something, they're going to find a way to change it. Yes. Oh, this is going to be so interesting. And it's happening really soon. How quickly are these changes taking effect? Yeah, they want it in by July 1st, which seems really quickly to me. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I, I don't know how you... How you implement that within a few months. Yeah, and we saw earlier when they created Alberta Health Services, one of the biggest mistakes they made was they rushed it, and and there was all kinds of chaos that ensued. So I'd be surprised if they actually do pull this off by July 1st. Well, I know a date that I'm marking in our uh, calendar, July 1st. We'll see see how far they've gotten. That's also Canada Day. Oh, Canada. Now, I know that one thing people in Alberta do expect of all their health services is they expect that when they're scheduled for surgery that it happens on time when when they're scheduled to have it happen don't they i mean i i do but i think we all know everyone gets bumped once in a while but the issue of surgical delays was getting more attention than usual this week what's going on why is this back in the spotlight well the ndp has been hammering the government on uh health care issues for the last week and a half, just about uh, every day, they have something something new to to present. And this week, they came out with sur- basically surgeries that were getting bumped in in hospitals, including the Stollery, just because of overcapacity issues. You know, too many people taking up um, beds, not not enough beds for for all of the patients. And then uh, this week, there was a doctor from the Stollery who came out, uh, Doctor Dickin, who um, talked about having patients 
having to, to tell patients that their surgeries were getting bumped, you know, once or twice or, you know, three times, that sort of thing. And just talking about the fact that there weren't enough inpatient beds and that the stollery just isn't isn't large enough to, to deal with the the demand that they see. Why are problems so acute at the stollery? Or are they? Are they diff- are they are they worse there than other places? They do actually seem to be worse there than other places. There are other hospitals that are experiencing the same thing. The thing with the stollery though, and there are very few children's specialized hospitals around Western Canada and the stollery takes in kids from all of Western Canada. They have specialized programs there for transplants, for cardiac cases, and so on. And so, in fact, 30% of the surgeries that go on at the stollery are from out-of-province kids. And so it is now at a point where the population growth in Alberta and throughout Western Canada has reached a point that... um, there's so many more patients than the stollery was designed for. You know, we've not only had a great growth in population in Alberta, we've had a huge increase in the number of children in Alberta because there's been a a baby boom that's gone on here. So just as we don't have enough schools, we don't have enough pediatric beds. That said, this isn't just about that. This is the NDP taking up a very good political issue because you can make people a little bit sad that granny can't get her hip replacement. You can make people a lot sad and mad if you say that little children are getting bumped off the surgery wait list because, you know, they are like the baby seals of Alberta politics. Let's take out some sick children and the parents of sick children. And of course, people get upset. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's very clever politics on the part of the New Democrats. I mean, who can blame parents for being upset if their children who are ill and who need surgery don't get their surgery when planned. Anybody can empathize with that. So it's it's a real public policy problem. It's also a very clever strategy. What did the health minister have to say? Did he respond to this yesterday or on Thursday? A, a, a little bit. I mean, they, all they're saying is that they are aware of the problems. Um, there is a huge increase in the number of emergency cases that are coming to the stallery, and those people have to be treated first. They get a bed first, and so the people with the non-urgent surgeries, uh, non-urgent is a weird term because they are sort of urgent. They need to be done. They just don't need to be done necessarily that day. Those people have to get bumped. But there's no quick fix to this, right? Um, at some point, they do need no, more capacity. The, the the minister has said that, but uh, it's not coming quickly. And what does it mean that doctors are actually speaking up about this? I always think that if a doctor's willing to come forward, that that must mean Well, the, the doctors are playing politics, too, because there's doctors at the Misericordia and, and people there that say, our, our facility is the priority. There's doctors at the Royal Alex who are saying our facility is the priority. So I think the doctors at the Stollery are saying, well, we need to get in on this too because we're going to get left behind. Because so far, a lot of the talk has been about the misericordia of the Royal Alex and other facilities. Hmm. Now, union leaders haven't been afraid to speak up in recent months. We'll switch topics out of health care and move into uh, what's going on with the public sector unions. Well, those, those are closely related. They are. They are. I mean, yes, they are tied. Uh, union leaders haven't been afraid to speak up in recent months about their their mistrust of government and and likewise Premier Prentice hasn't been afraid to speak up about how the government needs to get some concessions from its public sector workers and yet yesterday it was seemed like there was a an update on that relationship uh, what what were they speaking about yesterday which was Thursday Miriam <laughs> well a few weeks ago a number of um, of the province's largest public sector unions um, including the AUPE and the United Nurses of Alberta asked for a meeting uh, to talk to Prentice about a, a whole a whole bunch of things um, a plan to centralize collective bargaining in the province and and sort of model it on uh, what's done in BC which is sort of everything through a, a, a government 
Secretariat and the need to redraft labor legislation in the province because of a Supreme Court ruling um, uh, recently that that found the right to strike constitutionally protected. And in Alberta, as people will know, we have a blanket ban on public sector strikes. Which brings me to also a piece of legislation that was very controversial when it was passed by Alison Redford's government, uh, Bill 45, which was a bill, as people will remember, that sparked huge protests at the legislature for days. It basically threatened to to increase the fines on uh, unions that have uh, wildcat strikes uh, significantly, you know, up to a million dollars, and as well threatened to fine people for even talking about a strike at work or the potential for a strike, um, that sort of thing. And so it obviously elicited a lot of um, backlash against the government when it was passed, but it was passed, but never proclaimed. Um, And for a lot of the union leaders, that has been a a huge sort of shadow hanging over labor relations in the province. And so yesterday, Prentice, after having met with the leaders of a, a number of these unions, announced that the government was going to be repealing it immediately. This session, he said, uh, which was, you know, immediately sort of applauded. But um, also people pointed out that the fact that there was a Supreme Court ruling uh, <laughs> sort of made it, as uh, Heather Smith said, a no brainer. Because if you have legislation that is fining unions for um, illegal strikes, but at the same time, you're going to need to redraft all of your labor laws and codes because they include a blanket ban on strikes, you know, Bill 45 was never going to be proclaimed. So again, very good timing by the government Mm -hmm. a few weeks before an election, Um, but uh, probably hoping to to win some goodwill over for finally getting rid of, as um, one of the labor union leaders called it, a a bad hangover from the Redford era. That was a terrible piece of legislation. Is is it enough of a gesture, Paula, to to do this repeal? Do you have to repeal something you never proclaimed? I guess you do. Okay. But, well... What was probably more telling was that Prentice's rhetoric yesterday. You know, he denounced this piece of legislation, which all the members of his caucus and cabinet had supported when they brought it in these same government. So, you know, I mean, Miriam's right. It's a completely empty gesture. The bill was probably unconstitutional when it was written, and it's doubly unconstitutional now. Uh, So, you know, I don't know how many points you get for... Uh, deep sixing a piece of legislation which your own legal department is telling you will not sustain a court challenge. And I'd like to point out actually that it was already the subject of a court challenge launched by the United Nurses and then the AUP joined in uh, and and the government was fighting that you know up until uh, my understanding is early this year. So you know throughout throughout all of this time you know since it was passed in, in December 2013 I mean that la- that legal challenge was launched really quickly after it was passed. The government has been putting resources into fighting this challenge. Um, you know, and, and again, Heather Smith pointed out that probably would have been a, a difficult um, thing to justify going forward when you're talking about tightening your belt, but w- meanwhile fighting yeah. against this this challenge. Nonetheless, mm. it is conciliatory language, and uh, given how much Prentice has been sort of smacking the public sector around, it's probably not bad strategy on his part, but, you know, it's a flourish rather than a substantive policy change. And and on the eve of next week's provincial budget, which we will, I'm sure, will dominate our discussions next mm-hmm, week yes. let us wrap up this week with good stuff from the gallery very quick recommendations uh, now this is a weekly segment where we share something we've enjoyed reading watching or listening to usually has a political connection last week we had to skip it we talked for so long and i promised this week would be extra good can we deliver 
Yes, I'm going to do two things, so I'll be really fast. Uh, first, I want to recommend a great piece from McLean's this week by Rachel Brown, who went down to Tabor to get to the bottom of their controversial new uh, bylaw that bans yelling and swearing and spitting, uh, to look into the fact that this is a community that's dealing with a serious split uh, about uh, bigotry towards Mennonites in the community, because apparently gangs of Mennonite boys after church on Sunday go to the Walmart and hang out in the parking lot and swear at people. Hmm. So uh, it's a great piece that really gets to the heart of what's going on in Tabor. But I also want to recommend uh, three editorials by Sarah O'Donnell, who this week (laughs) was nominated for a National Newspaper Award, Canada's version of the Pulitzer Prize for Excellence in Editorial Writing. You can read Sarah's most excellent editorials, including my favoritist one, which is about uh, Danielle Smith and Jim Prentice, and includes the immortal line, more floor crossings than a Pinocchio square dance. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I'm blushing right now. That was not a plant, I swear. Thank you. Paula for those recommendations and thanks for mentioning my NNA nomination so um, (laughs) Keith would you like to go next? Right I don't have anything as exciting as that Um, but uh, I've just picked a a news story a recent news story from the New York Times it comes with the headline uh, scientists seek ban on method of editing the human genome it's by a reporter named Nicholas Wade and uh, it's it's just a it's a fascinating topic for me because I I I love stories that consider how technological innovation might actually lead to, to moral quandaries down the road. And in this case, there is a, uh, a new way, a very easy way of, of uh, manipulating the he- human genome, human genes, which could have the potential for saving a lot of people's lives, uh, preventing them from getting diseases down the road. But scientists don't think it's safe yet. And there are some worries that the less scrupulous people out in the world are going to start using this and start selling this to convince people that they have a miracle cure. So it's, it's quite interesting how they're trying to control that. That sounds fascinating. Thank yeah. you, Keith. I'm going to recommend something to listen to. I'm going to recommend, if you didn't get a chance to listen live, that you go check out Alberta at Noon's leadership debate with the Wild Rose candidate, uh, the CBC radio show host Donna McElligot, uh, hosted a about, almost an hour-long forum with these three candidates. And for me, and I'm still learning about the, the various Wild Rose, three people running for the Wild Rose leadership, and that vote is coming up on next March 28th, we'll learn the results. The vote is ongoing right now. But it was it was interesting to hear from them, and I thought a, a, a good segment, so I'm going to recommend that. Miriam, wrap us up. Uh, mine is a New York Times editorial. Wow, double editorial recommendations in one episode. That's fantastic. Um, yes, this is the one that they published on March 17th after the Israeli election, and it's called An Israeli Election Turns Ugly, um, and it just sort of looks at, um, you know, where the country goes from here after having elected um, Benjamin Netanyahu's party again to a majority. I can't wait to see how they wrote that editorial. Thank you, Miriam, for that recommendation, and that is it for this week. Thanks to Keith, Miriam, Paula for joining me in the newsroom studio, and photographer Greg Southam standing in with us to capture our conversation on video. He'll have a segment up on edmontonjournal.com later and if you want to connect with us via facebook you can check out the journal's facebook page we're all on twitter you can also hear this episode and previous episodes of the podcast on the website edmontonjournal.com opinion or through a variety of different places soundcloud you can find the edmonton journal soundcloud feed we're also on TuneIn radio and itunes so you can subscribe and the press gallery will be there for you as soon as i can possibly get it posted every friday We'll convene again next week for a post-budget episode of The Press Gallery.